0: And again, welcome to Cornerstone Presbyterian. If I haven't met you, my name's Campbell, pastor here at Cornerstone. And uh, again, a happy Father's Day to our dads. And we're continuing our series today on walking arm-in-arm with Jesus through all of life. And today we're looking at walking arm-in-arm with Christ in our work. And so the first passage, we'll be looking at quite a number of passages, but the first one will be from Genesis 2, if you want to have your Bibles ready. And if you've read the, my little article in the corner post, you might have noticed that I, I'm arguing that the best job in the world is the job of being a pastor, and I'm willing to debate that with anyone after church. I'll see you outside if you want to do that. But I think that uh, those who might disagree with me are French train drivers. I think French train drivers might... Disagree, and they might say that, in fact, they have the best job in the world because if you're a French train driver, you have a job for life. You can't be fired. You have 10 weeks holiday a year. You have discounted housing, free medical, free train tickets for you and your family. You can... Well, in fact, you must retire at the age of 52. 52 whereupon you receive a very fat monthly pension, €2,000 Euros a month on top of whatever other allowances you get. And so that's, that's the lot of a, a French train driver. And this year, the French train drivers went on strike.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and they went on strike for 37 days. And it cost the SNCF, the, the rail company, $1.2 billion. Why were they striking they were striking not because their job conditions were under threat but because the government, which is uh, the, the budget's in a shambles and the the train organisation is just, just draining them of all funds, is suggesting that new workers might not have so generous a benefit as existing workers. And so the existing workers went on 37 days' strike in, in outraged protest that new workers would not have these very generous provisions that they have. Now, I'd like us to imagine this scenario. I'd like us to imagine the the French train drivers protesting to be given more time to do their work, to be given precious time to get on with the job of being a train driver and of serving their nation, their community, Imagine a strike where the the rail drivers uh, strike, well, not strike, but protest, so that they, instead of being retired at the age of 52, they could retire at 72, so that they could work longer and serve more, and serve their nation for two decades more. We we can't imagine that happening, can we? We can't imagine that happening. And in fact, the, the human tendency, and it's not just... French train drivers, the human tendency is to resist work as an enemy. Our tendency is to resist work as an enemy of our lives. But what we're going to see today from God's word is that we were created to work. We were created to work, we were created to enjoy working and we will see that we fight work, we resist work because work has been broken by sin and rebellion. But we're also going to see how Jesus Christ has redeemed work and how he has recovered our work. And we're going to see that with Jesus Christ, we can begin to recover work in all of its meaning and delight. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray today, As we look through your word, that you will be our teacher. Open our eyes to see the truth of your word. Open our ears to hear it and soften our hearts to receive it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is work? Work is, when we work, we are using our mind and our strength to accomplish a purpose. Work is using our mind and our strength to accomplish a purpose. And when we think about work and we look at God's word, we see that God is a God who works. God works. And as we look in his word, we see that he works hard. We see that he works well. We see that he works toward a purpose. And we see that God always accomplishes the purpose toward which he works we see in the opening pages of the Bible that he used untold intellect and energy to create the universe. And he built it skillfully. He built it well. He worked toward this goal over six days. And then he accomplished that goal and rested on the seventh. God is a God who works and who works well. And when we look at the way God works, we see what it means to work well. Good work. Good work is energetic work. Good work is skilled work. Good work is purposeful. Good work accomplishes the purpose for which it is done. A good builder, for example, a good house builder, uses all of his mind and muscle to build that house. A bad builder doesn't use all of his mind. He doesn't use all of his strength. A good builder is skilled. He builds the house in the right way. A bad builder is unskilled. He builds it in a shoddy way. A good builder works to build a great house, the best house he can possibly build. A bad worker doesn't care about the end result. A good builder finishes the job. He doesn't stop until that house is finished. A bad builder doesn't care about completion. He, he, he's willing to walk away at any time. The Bible teaches us that not only does God work, but he made us to work and to participate in his good work. That's why, I've been thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, isn't it kind of odd that we have these these long things hanging off the side of our bodies, these that we call arms, with these strange things on the end called hands. You see, we're not just brains and mouths moved around on legs, are we? That's a horrible thought, isn't it? (laughs) Our deltoids, pectorals, biceps and triceps enable us to do a lot of work and our very complex and sensitive fingers enable us to do Skilled work, you've just got to look at our bodies and we see that God made us, designed us to work and to work hard and to work well. Now, there's a saying that we hear about work all the time. We're always hearing that you don't live to work, you work to live. Who's heard that? Haven't we all heard that? You don't live to work, you work to live. But that's the opposite of what God's Word says. That's the opposite. God's Word says that we, we do work to live, that it is part of who we are, that God made us to work. We were made, in fact, to work with God and to develop God's creation with Him. Now look with me please at Genesis chapter 2 from verse 4. Genesis 2 verse 4, we read that these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no no, no man to work the ground, And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Do you hear what what Moses is saying about creation here? He's saying that before humanity, there were no fields, there were no crops. It was kind of a, a wilderness. And God made humanity to come and to cultivate the wilderness, to garden the wilderness, to work together with God. Look down at verse 15, Genesis 2.15. As soon as God made Adam, we read that the Lord God took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And that word work... It could mean to dress it, to cultivate it. So, Adam was, was, was created to work and to cultivate Eden as a garden and that word, take care, those words take care. They could also be translated to protect. And they were words that were used to describe the work of the priests in the tabernacle and the temple And so, what Genesis 2 is saying is that God made Adam to work and cultivate Eden as a garden and to take care of and protect Eden as a place of worship, as a kind of temple, as the place where God lives. God made humanity to continue with the work that he had begun the work of separating, filling, ordering, multiplying, to continue God's work of maintaining order, of rolling back the chaos. And God made us to work, not just so that we would survive, but to improve and to develop his creation, to be a blessing to it and to delight in it. So I want us to see, from Genesis chapter 2, that what Moses is saying is that God created the heavens and the earth, but there was something incomplete about it. There was a wilderness and God made humanity to come in and to work alongside him. It was our very purpose. And you might say, well, didn't we, weren't we created to worship God? Isn't that our purpose? Well, do you see how Moses doesn't draw a distinction? To to work in the garden is to worship. To worship is to work. The two things go hand in hand there in Genesis chapter 2. And this completely breaks down that awful, secular, sacred distinction that the medieval church held to be so precious. And even if you only know a little bit about church history, historical theology, you will know that in the medieval church there was a very thick line between those who worked for God and those who didn't. Who worked for God? Well, it's the priests, the monks, the nuns, the bishops, the pope, the saints. They're working for God. They're doing sacred work. Everyone else, the milkmaid, the farmer, the carpenter, the lawyer, the surgeon, the soldier, well, they're not working for God at all. They're doing secular work. But do you see in Genesis that that secular, sacred distinction is just inconceivable? The Bible never teaches it. In fact, it tears it down. And it says to worship is to work, and to work is to worship. The two things go hand in hand in God's Word. But as we know, work is not this delightful, worshipful thing that the Bible describes. In fact, human sin and rebellion has caused our work to be cursed. Please look with me now to Genesis chapter 3. Adam had been made to cultivate and protect the garden and now because of sin there comes this curse upon Adam and his work. Genesis 3 verse 17 Where God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow... You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so part of the curse is that obstacles were put in the way of Adam's delightful work in the garden. What are those obstacles? Thorns, thistles. I don't think I'd seen a thistle until I came to Tasmania, but they're awful, aren't they? Thorns and thistles. And work was no longer delightful to Adam. Now it's this toilsome, sweaty, frustrating thing that he has to do. And part of the curse on work is that our work is so quickly undone. So we work and then the effects of that work are rolled back. Anyone who spent any time in the garden or their teenager's bedroom knows exactly what we're talking about. You can spend an hour... Uh, cultivating, ordering, cleaning and so on and then within another half hour (laughs) it's all undone and this is part of the curse that work is frustrating it's so quickly undone. We can feel like those squirrels in a cage you know what I'm talking about? The squirrels on the the wheel frantically. Hamster, sorry (laughs) squirrels do it too don't they? Rodents of all kinds on the uh, on those wheels. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And there they're going hammer and tongs, aren't they? What's it all achieving? Just a whirring noise, just nothing. And so we begin. The problem is that when work becomes frustrating to us, and when our, we see our work so so quickly being undone, what do we do? To compensate, we begin to closely tie our work to what? To to, to money, to the monetary reward. Because if my work is hard, if my work is frustrating, if my work is so easily undone, then I'm only going to do it if I get money, if I get a fat pay packet for doing it. And so we begin to work to live instead of, how God created us, living to work. Work has become the enemy, and so we resist it, we fight it, and we only do it for a monetary reward. But for the Christian, our work has been redeemed. For the Christian, our work has been recovered. Not because Jesus makes our work any easier, not at all. Not because he makes it less toilsome, not because he makes it necessarily less frustrating, but because with Jesus Christ we can recover that original good purpose of work, of joining with God in doing the good work that he does in his creation. So turn with me now to Colossians chapter 3. And some of you are saying, isn't this a series on Proverbs? We'll, we'll, we'll get to Proverbs in a minute. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. God made us to work it's delightful Sin has spoiled our work and made it frustrating. But as we'll see here, with Jesus Christ, our work is redeemed and recovered. Because Paul says in Colossians 3, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart, And reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Isn't this astonishing? Because here we are as human beings and we know we were made to work we've got these arms and these hands and these brains and, and we've got things to do, things we want to do, but work is toilsome, it's frustrating, it's sweaty, we see it so quickly undone. And as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, you can work for a lifetime and then what happens? You die and it's all handed over to someone else. And so work can seem very frustrating But here, the Apostle Paul says to Christian men and women, you don't have to see work that way anymore. You don't have to see work as pointless anymore just because it is frustrating and toilsome and because it seems to be so easily undone. You are working for the Lord, Paul says. And and some of you might be saying, no, hang on, Paul's talking to slaves here. And slaves were owned by a master and their labour was owned by a master. Not a single minute of their work benefited themselves directly. It all went to the master's benefit. So Paul's talking about slaves. It's not really about us, is it, Paul? No. If this principle applies to slaves who were owned by another and who worked entirely for another, how much more does this apply to to those who work for pay? It's not how much less, but how much more does this apply to those who work for a business, who work for pay? If the slave is to have the mindset and the heart that he's working for the Lord, how much more those of us who receive a wage, a salary for the work that we do? How much more? Do you see how Paul recovers and elevates and dignifies work because we are working for the Lord, Paul says, working to accomplish His business, His purpose. This is something we will be doing for all eternity, by the way. Work does not cease when we die. In fact, the good work goes on. In fact, the good work begins because then finally all the, the dreadful effects of the curse will be taken away. But don't think that heaven is going to be one long retirement and deck chairs and pina coladas. How boring! How boring! How awful a picture. No, there's going to be work to do good work, delightful work, wonderful work. God made us to work. He's a a God who works. We'll be working for all eternity. And we're going to love it. And we begin to do that wonderful work here and now because those of you who have entrusted their lives and future to Jesus Christ, you're already working for him. You're already working for the Lord. So do it with all your heart, Paul says. And you say, but all I do is stack shelves at the supermarket. Do it with all your heart. Because Paul's writing to slaves. And some of these slaves, all they did is dug holes all day. And some of them worked in salt mines. And some of them worked in salt mines 14 hours a day and probably never saw the light of day. And they wore out their lives in these places. But even those, if they belong to Christ, even that work is redeemed. And even that kind of dreadful, monotonous, tedious, sweaty work can be done for the Lord to accomplish His good purpose. So whatever it is you're doing, you're working in the supermarket, you're working in the academy, you're working in medicine, you're working in politics, you're working in the home, some of you, I think, are engineers. You think it's half the church, isn't it? It's half the church. Surrounded by engineers here. It's a plague of engineers. But even your work, Paul says, is can be done for the Lord. Can be done for the Lord. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. And children and teens, what's your work? Well, you can work in the home. You can help mum and dad. You should help Mum and Dad, not just Father's Day. And your study is your work. Work at it with all your heart. You're working for Jesus. You're you're preparing for the future. Do it well. Now, some, some might say, now, hang on, Campbell. Isn't our work really just just about evangelism? Isn't, isn't, isn't that what it's really all about? Is it, doesn't God put me in the hospital so that I have opportunities to evangelise people? Ha, hasn't God put me in this office so that I can evangelise people? Isn't, isn't, isn't that the main point? Isn't the work itself incidental? Not at all. That is so wrong, that's so false. Jesus said, listen to what Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good what? Your good works. And the word work there is the word for work. It's not a special religious word. It's the word, the ordinary word for work. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works, your good work, and praise your Father in heaven. Let people see you doing good work in the office, in the hospital, on the building site, in the school, at the university, in Parliament House. Let people see your good work. And that is a light, Jesus said, that is a light, a bright shining light for a world that does not know him. And may this draw and attract others to see Christ and to praise him seeing as we do have so many engineers, let me use you as an example here. God has not put you where you are for a pay packet. God has not put you where you are for opportunities to evangelise, though you will take them, of course you will. Someone asks you about Jesus, you're you're going to say, I'm so glad you asked. And when it's lunchtime, we'll sit down, we'll have a chat about this, or we'll make a time after work. God has not put you where you are for a pay packet or for evangelistic opportunities, but to serve the world by being a great engineer. God has put you there to serve the world by being a great engineer and apply that to whatever you're doing. If you're working in the home, if you're working at school, whatever your workplace, God has put you there to serve the world and to be a light by doing what God has given you to do in the best possible way. And that's why the book of Proverbs, and we've finally got round to Proverbs, that's why it urges us to work hard, right? Lazy hands make a man poor. The diligent hands bring wealth. Work hard. Proverbs 10, verse 26, like vinegar to the teeth, and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Kids, what's a sluggard? Isn't it a great word? Great word, horrible thing. What's a sluggard? Well, we know what a slug is. It's a, kind of, it's a human slug, I suppose, a sluggard. Uh, it's just someone who's very slow, lazy. They don't want to do what they're doing. And, and the book of Proverbs says, well, that's, that's just like... You know, vinegar's nice on fish and chips, but you don't want to drink it, do you? It's just awful, and smoke in your eyes. Are you the person that the smoke's always going to around the fire? Yeah, it's it's it stings. You know, that the sluggard, the poor worker, the bad worker, that's what they're like. And so God made us to work, to work for Christ, to work with all of our heart, to work for the Lord. So let's work hard, let's not be that. Smoke in people's eyes and vinegar on their teeth. Let's be a delight to those around us. Let them be thankful that that you are part of the team. Proverbs 19, verse 24, the sluggard... I'm sure this is supposed to be funny. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. That's how lazy he is. I want this food. If only I could be bothered. (laughs) And Proverbs 22, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. Don't make me go out there. Don't make me do something. There's, There's a lion out there. Somewhere there's a lion and I'll be hurt. I'm in danger. And so Proverbs, shames the lazy, with its barbs. And certainly, every one of the Lord's people will want to be known as a hard worker, a skilled worker, a good worker, because we're working for the Lord. We're not just in this office space because we might have an evangelistic opportunity. Although, yeah, we'll take it. And we're not just here because I just want to see the pay packet at the end of the month. No, we are participating with the Lord. He made us to work. He is a working God. Our Lord Jesus worked. He did magnificent work. I have no doubt that his, his carpentry was the finest carpentry because he sure as heck was a great rabbi and a saviour par excellence, no greater worker than our Lord Jesus Christ. So on this Father's Day, I want to finish by addressing our dads, and I, I want to I want to uh, tackle I want to finish by addressing our dads and tackling what I think is uh, an old chestnut that I think needs to be smashed. Because how many times have we heard Christian dads that this is to be your order of priorities in life? Put Jesus first. How does it go Jesus then, your wife and your family, then your church then your work, then your leisure. How many times have I heard that have you I, I, I might I probably said it now what's this doing what is what is this list doing it is it is presenting as the 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 things that God's given us to do, it presents them in a way that they are competing and opposing one another. Family and work are opposed in this system, right? I've got to put my family first, work second, because they're in opposition. And I've got to give the right priority to the right thing. Church and work, these are in opposition. But, these things are not competitors. The first conditions, all of them. We put Jesus first and then under Christ we are the best husbands we want it, we can be. We're the best dads we can be. We're the best workers we can be. We are the best members of the church that we can be. But we love and we serve Jesus by loving and serving our wife, our family, our church, and our work, but what this, what the Bible never says is that the most the only really important thing you can do, you man, is to work in the church. never never mind what you do in the office for fifty, sixty hours a week. The only really important thing is is being on the church roster and uh, being a leader at the church, and so on. That, that, that's the only really important work. The rest of it is not that important. The rest of it, you could be doing anything, it doesn't matter. But the Bible does not teach this. The Bible says that your work, wherever you're working, your work is God-given. It's important. You need to do it well. You need to do it skillfully with all your heart. You're serving the Lord there. You're not just serving the Lord when you're here on a Sunday. You're serving the Lord there. And so, I, I, God forbid that any father, any man in this church thought that his work was unimportant and that the only important thing he could do is to be a leader in the church, or working in the church somehow, putting out the chairs on a Sunday. That's the important thing. No, it's important what you're doing. You're serving the Lord. That's important. You're worshipping the Lord there. You're being a bright light there. It's important. Do we need our men to step up in the church? Absolutely. We need fine elders and deacons and fine men on our border management. And we need our men, yes, to put out the chairs and to back them up again. These things are important. But I don't want any man here to think that you are serving... You are not really serving the Lord in your workplace. It's only here that you're doing that. No, not at all. The Bible says nothing about that because Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you're working for Jesus Christ and not for men. I'm going to stop there. And I did have another page, but I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, are there any questions? Do you have any questions this morning? Yep. Okay. Okay, so uh, Shirley's raised family. Now if a man is conscious that he is working for Jesus Christ in his workplace, then his work is not going to become an idol, is it? He's not going to make... this This is a weakness of men to make their work an idol, to become workaholics, to make their work a refuge, but the man who's working for Jesus won't do that. His work will take its rightful place in their life and it won't become that idol, it won't become the big thing in his life and he will know how vital it is to care for his wife and his children, but it's only those who know that they're working for the Lord and the workplace who will be clear in their minds that this is this is not the only thing, and this must not be the one big thing in my life. This must not become an idol. It's an important thing, but it's not the only thing. yeah, any other questions, yes. How can wives help their husbands to find the right balance? <clears throat> I don't, I don't.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm kind of regretting saying any questions. Uh, but, but I mean, what, what Christianity's done is put a finger on a, on a real problem, right? So she's put a finger on a problem of of husbands who are so devoted to their work that their family is suffering and so devoted to their work that their marriage is suffering and they're not, they aren't uh, using the gifts that God's given them in the church as well. Yeah, so what I wanted to make clear today is that Christian men, you are serving the Lord in the workplace and if you're really conscious of that, then again you'll be very conscious that I need to do this thoughtfully, carefully... And keeping in mind the other sacred responsibilities that I have to be a husband and a father. And I believe it is only when you are convinced that you are working for the Lord in the workplace that you will then give it that thought, careful thought and consideration and put those careful boundaries around your work hours that you need to put around them so that you are fulfilling your duties So husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church sacrificially. They're to discipline and love the children. And all I can say is that when we are under the Lord with our work, then we will give it that that careful thought and attention. And husbands and wives need to carefully talk about this. And husbands have a tendency to bulldoze their wives. Well, I'm going to work, it's work, this end of the discussion, and we can't do that. Didn't really answer the question, but hopefully there's some parameters there or or some principles. The principle is we're working for the Lord. Yep. Yes, Stephanie. Okay, you can take that up with Stephanie. Uh, Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. All right. Well, we better stop, and um, because you might ask me more hard questions, so (laughs) we'll stop. And I'll ask our music team to come up, and we'll we'll sing together. Then we'll come to the Lord's table together.